Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, Springheeled Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store, or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in this show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. On that journey to the top, you probably had to make a few sacrifices, including long-term friendships. But in Los Santos, perception is everything, and anything can be bought. You need to make a splash at social occasions and fill your fancy new house with tons of friends. If it's a glamorous occasion, we'll provide models and movie stars. If it's a business function, we'll bring along oligarchs and senior executives. Perhaps you want something a little funkier. We've got Mirror Park hipsters for hire so you can slip on your skinny jeans and show your alternative side. People of different ethnicities and sexual preferences will mingle and make you look good instead of the desperate, close-minded guy you are. Call Appropriate Associates today. It's the heartbreaking show of human struggle, love, redemption, and hot morons doing drugs in bikinis. Tragedy equals comedy if you give it enough time. Rehab Island. We put Darwinism into the ultimate struggle as people battle addictions and each other in this hit competitive sobriety show. We take people to the limit, push them over it, and run commercials in between. Alliances form. Get out! Get out! Loves are lost. I thought you loved me. I love the coke. I love cocaine. Hearts explode. And contestants flatline. <laughs> Rehab Island. Reality finally gets real on CNT. Alright guys, welcome back to another Halloween episode on Anthology of Horror. As I previously stated, I'm your host, spring Jack, and today we're going to be reading... One for the younger listeners. It's from a book called The Vampire's Promise by Carolyn B. Cooney. I read this book when I was in high school, and uh, I liked it then. So hopefully you guys all like it now, and hopefully I like it now too. And with no more further ado, let's get started. Chapter 1. Suppose, it said, in its voice like antique silk, silk faded and slightly torn, that I could make you popular. It did not smile, for which Althea was glad. She did not particularly want to see it smiling. She waited, but no explanations followed. Talking to it was somewhat unsettling. Althea kept her back to the wall, waiting for it to leave. Usually it left rather early, having, she supposed, appointments to keep. Tonight, it stayed, waiting. She knew it could always wait longer than she could. Her heart snagged on the, wor the word popular, and at last... Althea asked, How could you make me popular? It nodded for some time, its entire trunk pulsing back and forth as if it were on a spring. Tell me, it said in that slippery satin voice, What is the most popular group in school? That was easy. Cheerleaders, said Althea with yearning. The varsity squad was a closed unit of slim blondes and sparkly brunettes who not only never spoke to Althea, but far worse, never noticed her either. Who... 
It went on, like a river or a tide, do you wish had never gotten onto the squad. That, too, was easy. Celeste, said Althea. Celeste had made varsity as a freshman, which to the sophomores, juniors, and seniors who failed to make it seemed unfair. Celeste was quite extraordinarily beautiful. At first, Celeste did not appear sufficiently energetic to cheer. She walked slowly, languidly, hands trailing. Celeste seemed more like a romantic dreamer than a screaming, leaping, possibly even perspiring member of a gymnastics-oriented squad. But cheerleading transformed her. Once in uniform, Celeste became a star. And popular. So popular. Althea longed for the popularity that cheerleading brought. Althea was a gentle girl. She had a sweet... She had sweet features and a demure posture. When she spoke, people quieted to hear her distinctive, whispery tremor. In elementary and middle school, Althea had a circle of giggly girlfriends, a phone that rang constantly, invitations every weekend to spend the night or order pizza or go to the movies. She was on the softball team, won several ribbons in horseback riding, and went on wonderful group skiing trips. She had thought that in high school she would become a serious skier and she had bought a beautiful ski outfit to shine on the snow, but high school was horrible. The circle of friends, like a kaleidoscope, turned and refocused, had, had split cleanly apart to form new groups. One group was heavily into individuality and new experiences. They wore trendy clothing or torn jeans, unique sweatshirts or giant earrings. They found Althea altogether too dull to bother with. Another group had boyfriends, and Althea without one was unwelcome. The third group became scholarly and embarked on a soul-whipping routine of trying to beat one another out with exam grades and extra credit reports. Althea's throaty whisper became a liability. Nobody heard it. She had to raise her voice, and the voice felt foreign, like an intruder, like a stranger yelling. Loneliness absorbed her life. It was a quiet life. No phones, no laughter, no gossip, no giggles. It was November. A month of darkness and chill, a month in which Althea saw herself like an abandoned waif in the gutter without hope. Perhaps, the voice continued, Celeste could be taken off the squad. She slipped down those words as if on a waterslide in an amusement park. She noticed how the voice liked to split sentences, testing the first word. Who? What? Perhaps. She did not like standing so close. It had given her all sorts of assurances, but... Did she know for sure that she could believe these promises under the circumstances? Would there not, it continued in a lazy, inquiring sort of manner, as if it had all year to consider it, be tryouts for Celeste's replacement? Althea nodded. The cheerleading squad was a precision team. They worked in pairs. They would have to have an even number. Althea had years of dancing and gymnastics. Nevertheless, she had not made the team. The high school was jammed with girls who had years of dancing and, gym and gymnastics. There would be a lot of competition, said Althea, remembering the taste of humiliation and despair when she had been cut from the list long before the final round of tryouts. Perhaps, the voice said, which, with such a slowness that it seemed to be melting away. I could arrange for the competition to be missing. She let her mind drift over that, skimming like a seabird on the surface of the suggestion. Not landing, no. Not part of it, but thinking about it, the power of it, the potential of it. What a change it would make in her life. She would be amongst the lovelier, more exciting girls, the girls who partied and laughed and drove fast cars and sat with boys. Me, Althea thought. Popular? A cheerleader? Perhaps someday I would even be captain, she whispered. Perhaps so. Its skin was the color of mushrooms. And date somebody on the basketball team, she breathed, imagining it. 
She remembered how the cheerleading squad sat on the bus with the team, how if they won the games there was laughter and shared snacks and favorite songs were played while they foot danced because the bus driver didn't allow standing. How in the back of the bus, girls sat entwined with their boyfriends, their laughter quieter, more intimate. How couples got off the bus holding hands. Maybe even Michael, said Althea so softly that she was not sure that she had let the thought out. Because the thought was so precious. Michael. Maybe even Michael, the voice agreed. Althea pulled herself together. She was envious of the popular girls, but she was kind. She didn't want anything nasty to happen, and Celeste seemed like a perfectly nice person. What would you do to Celeste, said Althea warily. It smiled. The teeth were not quite as pointed as Althea had expected, but she shuddered anyway. She was told with an air of reproach, It doesn't hurt, you know, it's just rather tiring. Celeste would simply be tuckered out. The eyes changed their focus, leaving Althea's face. She felt as if she were released from suction cups. It stared at the sky, at the black, cloudless sky, sprinkled with stars, gleaming with moonlight. It seemed to find a companion with whom the smiles were exchanged. Celeste would be back in school the next day. Then why wouldn't she stay on the squad? I told you, she'll be tired. She'll feel a need to resign. She'll want a little time for herself. There's no cause for you to worry. Her grades won't suffer. Althea decided not to think about the details. She did not let herself think about being popular. I can't condone it. But on the other hand, a simple exercise that would leave Celeste tired. And after all, Celeste is only a ninth grader and I'm in tenth. I deserve it more. She looked at its fingernails. They were gray like foil. Althea, it said, stroking her name, feeding it new ideas. Think about school tomorrow. Think about how you sit alone at lunch, how nobody talks to you in the study hall, how nobody shares a soda with you after class, how vivid it was, how often it had been true. The voice was thready and sticky like a spider's web. But if you're a cheerleader, Althea saw, saw herself among the slender blondes and sparkly brunettes. You, Althea, said the voice, softer than clouds, you deliver Celeste. Althea shivered. I, breathed the vampire, will make you popular. But how? How was this supposed to work? Celeste wafted down the halls of high school like a sunset of spun gold, wrapped in the possession of her friends. From a distance, Althea would see the soft hair and sparkling eyes. From around a corner, Althea would hear that trembly laugh, a laugh that shivered with delight. It was so unfair. Celeste had every beauty, every friend, every power. You deliver Celeste, and I will make you popular. My only claim to popularity, thought Althea, is that I have the same lunch schedule as the cheerleading crowd. I get to stand in the same cafeteria line. When Althea went to lunch, Celeste was ahead of her, shimmering like a mirage. Celeste skimmed through the line, putting almost nothing on her tray and gliding to her seat. Celeste's laugh sparkled across a crowded table where friends jostled and squeezed. Althea's tray was heavy, and the plates slid around, bumping on one another and threatening to spill. She carried it carefully, and when she finished paying, looked around for a place to sit. A group of girls she knew fairly well filled a distant table, but there was no room. A girl like Celeste could dance up and they would make room, but for a girl like Althea, they did not. Her old friends from middle school were there with their new friends from other parts of town. If she joined them, she would be a river barge shoving through sailboats. They would part to let her through, sure, but she could never join in. The only thing worse than being alone was to have people tolerate you because they felt pity. Althea's eyes swept the entire cafeteria. 
and in the entire cafeteria there did not seem to be an empty seat. Come on, said an impatient voice behind her. Get a move on. Althea lifted her heavy tray and took two steps into the hostile lunchroom. People trotted past, their trays as full as hers, but their steps were light. They found places to sit, and people looked up and said, Hey, how are you? Sit down. There's no room for me, thought Althea. There never will be. She walked past table after table, and from each chair eyes turned, inspected Althea, and turned away like they didn't see her. Every student in the high school had a chance to say, Sit with us. Every student in the high school said nothing. Eventually, Althea was back at the counter. If she had any appetite at all, it was gone. She sat her tray down now, untouched. I'll just stand outside in the courtyard till the lunch is over, Althea thought. I'll pretend. A silver shot of laughter came from the cheerleader's table. Celeste planted a sweet kiss on the cheek of a handsome boy next to her. I want that life, Althea thought. I want to laugh and kiss and have friends, but how do I invite her to my house? The closest I'm ever going to get to her is in the same building. The second day was worse than the first, for Althea could not find the courage to enter the cafeteria at all, but brought a bag lunch and sat on a bench outside pretending she liked the outdoors, pretending she needed the fresh breeze in her hair in order to compose her thoughts. Lies. All of it lies. On the third day, she forced herself into the cafeteria again. She did not actually get in the lunch line. She drifted on the edges, trying to think of a strategy. Cheerleaders, thought Althea, important people, jocks, the party crowd, they're always on the other side of the room, sitting at a different table, laughing at different jokes. There's no way to cross that dividing line, either you're popular or you aren't. Her heart filled with longing to be special the way that they were. She inched closer to, to their affectionate, silly talk. Althea paused next to Celeste's table, pretending her attention was caught by something beyond, an interesting tableau, perhaps, or dietitians and cooks. In the cafeteria, she was camouflaged like an animal in the jungle, merely another anonymous student passing by to get extra ketchup or another dessert. They paid no attention to Althea. They just rattled on about their cars. It seemed that Ryan's car had only one working door out of four, that, and that to get in and out you had to use the right rear passenger door. Althea imagined herself in the crowd, giggling as she doubled over to squeeze in the back, crawling over boys' legs, the gear stick, and the parking brake to reach the front seat. It seemed that Kimmy Joe had backed her new car into a tree. The car's trunk now had an interesting configuration, along with a tree print. Althea imagined herself in the car with Kimmy Joe when it happened, screaming, What will your parents say? You're dead, Kimmy Joe. Giggling and suggesting they go to Dairy Queen and have an ice cream first and then deal with Kimmy Joe's parents. Michael, however, had a car that was not only new to him, but it was actually new. His father had bought it for his 17th birthday present last week. How, like Michael thought Althea, staring with adoration, forgetting to pretend she was neither watching nor listening. Celeste said sadly, I'm only 14, I won't be able to drive my own car forever and ever. Althea's heart hardened, I'm 16 and I have nothing, thought Althea. That's okay, said Michael, smiling at Celeste, we'll give you a ride when you need one. He had such a fine smile, brotherly, welcoming, and yet sexy. He smiled like that at a ninth grader Celeste, for no reason except that Celeste was on varsity cheerleading. Althea walked straight into the group. She expected to feel the prickles of their distaste, to have Kimmy Joe and Michael and Ryan and Celeste look at her with amazement, as an intruder, a pushy, unwanted nobody. But Ryan said, Hi Althea, how are you? Ryan knew her name, she was stunned. I'm fine, thank you, she said. You live in that big spooky house at the bottom of the hill, don't you, said Celeste. Celeste shuddered pleasurably. 
Her pretty golden hair quivered and the boy smiled gently at her. They say it's haunted. Have you ever seen any ghosts, Althea? Althea did not like to lie. I have never seen any ghosts, she said carefully. So your house isn't haunted, said Celeste, with evident disappointment. Of course not. Althea sensed the group getting ready to move. They were always in transit. These popular people, drifting like a flock of bright feathered birds from one perch to another. She needed to hold on to them, though, or at least on to Celeste. She made a quick offering, a dangerous offering, because it trembled on the edge of truth. But it was all that Althea had. We do have the shuttered room, though. What does that mean? Celeste had a pretty little giggle and a trick of biting her lower lip as she giggled, taking her breath in funny little snatches. The boys looked on adoringly. There's a room in the attic, Althea explained. The circular tower. You may have seen it when you've driven by. The tower room has three windows, none of which are ever opened. There are shutters on the inside of the windows and shutters on the outside. What's the room for? asked Michael. It's for staying away from. Oh, wow, said Celeste, entirely satisfied. I knew the house was haunted. It's not haunted, said Althea, rather sharply. It's simply that nobody is supposed to enter the shuttered room. Well, what happens when somebody does? asked Michael. She paused. She had an answer to that now, of course. For she, a month ago, had done just that. Against all rules, against all tradition, she had touched the shutters, and now she knew what happened. If you were to open the inside shutters, you would hear a whistling gurgle, the sound of somebody struggling for air, the sound of a living person locked in a coffin or a box. If you were to open the outside shutters, the wind would whirl into the tower, and the tower air would whirl out. And in the exchange of old air for new, something passed, something changed. The vampire was set free. She did not know where he came from, from inside the tower or outside. She did not know where he stayed, inside the tower or outside. But the shutters were the key to his prison, and he was the key to hers. The vampire could set Althea free, free from the hostile cafeteria, free from loneliness. You give me Celeste, and I will give you popularity. Althea fastened her eyes on Celeste. Althea's whispery tremor deep in her throat sounded frightening and mysterious. Nobody ever has. It's a family tradition. The shutters in the shuttered room stay shuttered. She smiled, first at Celeste, then at Michael. The kids laughed, repeating the rule like a tongue twister. Susie sells seashells on the seashore. The shutters in the shuttered room stay shuttered. The bell rang and the kids disappeared, as even popular groups must for class or gym or art or library. Michael strode blithely along down the hall, headed for something special, no doubt. He could not possibly take dull, repetitive classes the way she had to. Ryan was bouncier. He lunged in the other direction, as if he had athletic records to set. Kimmy Jo was sultry, stunning, the way she always was, sitting, walking, or cheering. Becky, another cheerleader, popped out of the classroom door, and Becky and Kimmy Jo hugged with that relaxed affection popular people show each other. Unpopular people who did that would just be pathetic. Althea caught up to Celeste and walked on with her. Think companionable thoughts, Althea told herself. Don't let Celeste see through you. Say something normal. You know which one my house is, Althea said, but I don't know where you live. <laughs> Creepy. Celeste made a face, even pouting she was beautiful. Way out of town, Althea, miles and miles. I hate living there. I can never go anywhere unless somebody's willing to drive me. They're always willing the first time, but they make that trip once and they're not willing a second time. She's confiding in me, Althea thought. She's treating me like a friend. Maybe. She would not have to deliver Celeste to the vampire after all. She and Celeste would become friends, and that would be her door. That would be the door which Althea entered popularity. 
Brian came once, and after that, he's just been busy. Celeste sighed deeply. Extremely sorry for herself. And Becky, well, she came once, and when I asked her to drive me again, she frowned and said my parents would have to bring me to the party. Had she been asked to a party of Becky's, Althea would have slogged across swamps and swum rivers. She was supposed to feel sorry for Celeste, all because Celeste had to get party transportation from her relatives. That's rough, said Althea sympathetically. And you heard Michael say he'd drive me, but he's dating Constance, of course, and I can hardly ask him to pick up Constance first and then come for me. So, Michael was dating Constance. Constance was, was one of those overwhelming people who was simply brilliant at simply everything. There was not an activity in which she did not shine, not a subject in which she was not a scholar, and not a sport in which she did not excel. Constance was lovely and willowy, strong and interesting, funny and sweet. Of course Michael was dating Constance. Althea was exhausted by the mere thought of Constance. Celeste gave several more examples of how unpleasant it was to live so many miles out in the country. It became increasingly difficult to grieve for somebody who had been asked to three events last weekend and could get transportation to just two of them. After school today, said Althea, would you like to come over to my house? Celeste gave Althea a dazzling, sparkling smile. It was a smile on par with Michael's. A world-class welcome of a smile. Althea warmed inside, forgave Celeste for bitching, and thought of friendship. You're so sweet, Althea, said Celeste. That's very nice of you, but I have cheerleading practice, of course. We're Fleesa. We began as a credit card company, and thanks to customer allegiance and 29% interest fees that retain clients for life, we became a bank. But we're more than that. We're a brokerage firm, too. What's better than a bank investing your assets for our profits in the safety and security of the stock market? Hey, America's been through some tough times. We've all had to make some sacrifices in health and dignity to make ends meet. At Fleesa, we've sacrificed our integrity and spent a fortune lobbying so that regulations don't bog down the future. Fleesa, credit cards, banking, brokerage. It's time to start paying for everything. The pharmaceutical industry is at it again. They don't want you to vote yes on Proposition 208 and legalize medical cocaine. For millions of Americans, it's the medicine that helps them get through the day. A God-given plant strained through gasoline in the jungle by a man with missing teeth. Vote yes on Proposition 208 and legalize medical cocaine. After school, Althea did not go home. She drove around town in a jealous rage. Street after street passed beneath her tires like some great black, bleak grid of life. If only Celeste had not said, of course. It was that of course that was the knife in her back. A light turned yellow, and in her present mood, she wanted to slam down on the accelerator, roar through the intersection, leave a patch on the pavement, and fill the faces of bystanders with her foul exhaust. But she drove carefully, as she had been taught. Then, like lightning filling the sky with sheets of silver, she remembered something. Celeste was too young to drive, but Althea was not. I have a license, and a car. Why, I'd be happy to drive Celeste home, or to a party, or to anything else that Celeste might choose. Briefly, anyway. Until, well. And of course, after that, Celeste would be too tired. It wouldn't matter anyhow. You have cheerleading practice, of course, thought Althea. Celeste, my friend, I have a car, of course, and a shuttered room, of course, and a vampire, of course. Althea turned left, then right. She gripped the steering wheel like the compass of life. Three miles, and she was back in the school parking lot. Beyond the buildings and the tennis courts, the football team was practicing. 
Boys were lined up on each side of the field, hurling themselves at one another. From this, from that distance, it was impossible to tell which heavily padded, heavily padded body was which. The school had many L's and additions. Althea circled the building, looking for the cheerleaders' practice area. The grass had been mowed and the air smelled wonderful, like hay in countryside. She remembered the vampire smell. When he did whatever he did, would Celeste notice the smell first, or would she... Stop, thought Althea. Don't think about the details. Around the next brick wall was a small paved courtyard, and there they were, all twelve of them. Mrs. Roundman, their coach, was not pleased. Not even half trying, she was shouting, not one of you. You're all so lazy. What is cheerleading? An activity for melted marshmallows or cattle? You act as if you'd run out of energy spreading peanut butter on bread. Call yourselves cheerleaders? Ha! Several girls were close to tears. Several seemed pretty irritated, as if they had better things to do than stand around while Mrs. Roundman had a temper tantrum. And only one was amused. Mrs. Roundman did not miss this. Celeste, she bellowed, you think this is a joke, perhaps? No, said Celeste, trying to smother her laughter. Of course not, Mrs. Roundman. Althea caught Celeste's eye and giggled. Celeste giggled back like a co-conspirator, or like a friend. I should give her another chance, Althea thought. We could be friends. I know we could. I can tell by the way she's sharing that giggle with me. One more chance, said Mrs. Roundman grimly to the squad. I said every leg is to reach the same height on that kick, and that's what I fucking meant. Quite a few other people were watching practice. Two squad members' boyfriends were leaning against a brick wall playing cards. A boy Althea did not know was doing his chemistry homework. His glasses had slid down his nose and he looked sweet and childish. Three ninth-grade girls looked at their favorite cheerleaders with open adoration. A little knot of kids were sharing a single soda and monitoring one another's swallows. She would have liked to have joined the card game, or... She would have liked to help with the chemistry, sip the soda, even join the ninth graders. She didn't really care. She just wanted to fit in. But after the first brief glance her way, nobody looked at Althea a second time. The cheerleaders worked hard. Kimmy Joe had the most style and Celeste was the most beautiful. But Becky gave off an air of joyful celebration while the other girls were breathless from exertion. Becky seemed breathless from the love of cheerleading. Finally, Mrs. Roundman ended practice and stalked off. Althea did not know what she could be grumpy about. In Althea's eyes, the squad looked perfect. Celeste, out of breath and pink-cheeked, dropped to the ground next to Althea. She's a bear, confided Celeste. This is what friendship is, Althea thought, somebody telling you something they wouldn't tell somebody else. I can see. Does she always treat you that way? Uh, that way or worse, honestly. I don't know where they find these coaches. Althea thought Mrs. Roundman was an excellent coach. Certainly, the school had the best cheerleaders Althea had ever seen. But she said sympathetically, Gosh, you must be tired, Celeste. I'm utterly exhausted. People don't know how difficult cheerleading is. You don't get the credit you deserve. Celeste arched her back like a cat and slowly melted down. A few golden threads of her hair fell across her forehead and annoyed her, and then she stroked them into place, rotating her long neck to relax herself. She added, and what's more, I have to wait an hour for a ride home, a whole hour just sitting here till my parents get off work and can come for me. What a lovely neck she has, Althea thought. It's really swan-like. Just the way they say a high fashion model's neck should be, with soft white skin. Since we're becoming friends, Althea th thought, perhaps I'll ask her if she's ever thought about modeling. I've always wanted to be a model myself. We could go into the city together. I am so bored, said Celeste. Althea looked at her uncertainly. 
Nobody's around, Celeste said. Everybody's left. Not quite everybody, thought Althea. I'm still here. Celeste ran beautifully polished fingers through her silken hair. Her nails were pale, pale pink. But they would get paler, Althea thought, and I know somebody who would think that's a lovely neck. You poor thing, said Althea. Well, I'm heading out right now. Would you like a ride? His skin had darkened in patches, like fruit going bad. If she touched it, the skin would feel like a sponge. The fingernails seemed detached. She could pluck them, harvest them, fill a basket with old vampire nails. Althea closed her eyes to block out the sight and then quickly opened them. It was difficult to breathe evenly in his presence, but she knew that if her breathing were ragged and frightened, he would enjoy it. It would give him power over her. So she regulated her breathing. She blocked out visions of Celeste being touched by the vampire's spongy skin, his foul mold against her swan-sweet neck, his smell in her hair. But she had to know. What happened, said Althea. The vampire looked surprised. You want details? His teeth overhung his lower lip, shimmering like pearls, like Celeste's hair. I don't want details, said Althea hastily, just an overall picture. With a long, bony finger, the vampire traced his lips as if savoring something. How thin his lips were, how bloodless, although actually he looked somewhat healthier than the last time Althea had encountered him. Althea felt a little queasy. What could have made him healthy? I did it, she thought. I actually gave a vampire his victim. The air around her thickened. It crawled up her legs and crowded against her spine and her heart and her head. She could not see the air, but she could feel it, all woolly and damp, whispering. That's what you did. You were bad. You were evil, Althea. She straightened her back and stiffened her jaw. I did what I had to, she thought, and Celeste deserved it. So there. The dark drapery that seemed to be the vampire's clothing. It shifted and swirled as if it were leaving, but the vampire stood still. The hem of his black cloth blew towards Althea. She stepped back, and the black cloth reached further, trembling eagerly. The vampire collected it back and wrapped it around himself like a container. To Althea, he said, It was only necessary for Celeste to enter the path of my control. Once you and she circled the house, she was within my light path. Light? You were dark. You were night. It is, in fact, a dark path, admitted the vampire. I thought you would better understand a comparison to the rays of the sun, however. He smiled again, his teeth the only bright thing on earth, those notched, glittering fangs that Celeste had known. Had it hurt? Had Celeste understood? Had Celeste talked to the vampire? Did she know who led her into the dark path? Althea looked off to the side. It was dark this early in the morning. Frost sparkled on the ground. The hemlocks and firs were black as the night. The moon was still visible. Stars trembled and there was no wind. The world lay quietly in the shadowy circle of the house and the trees. I was able, said the vampire, his voice as wet and muggy as a swamp, to migrate within Celeste's boundaries. To migrate? It sounded like swallows and robins. It sounded rather pretty and graceful, an annual event. She was very relieved. She had thought the world, the word would be puncture or stab or gnaw, but migration, that was peaceful. Perhaps Celeste had not even noticed. Yesterday, Celeste had stayed on to have a Coke, had admired Althea's bedroom, shivered at the spookiness of the shuttered room, and when Althea drove Celeste home, Celeste had chattered about school and boys and clothes. Celeste had not sounded like a girl caught in a dark path. The black cloth escaped from the vampire's twisted fingernails. Little threads from a frayed edge spun towards her like a spider web, hoping to snag her. The fringe wove itself into more cloth and grew in Althea's direction. Althea said slowly, Am I in your dark path? No. There are some people who are unreachable. He reached me pretty well, thought Althea. I gave him Celeste, and what if she knows? What if she says so in school? What if she tells people? 
You open the shutters, Althea. You and I, we're, we are evenly matched. We are both in control. And both of us may only go so far. But Celeste, I fear, is in a different category. He did not look as if he feared a thing, or ever had. It was not fear that lined his lips, but hunger. I'm not in control, Althea thought. If I were in control, I would have made myself popular the day high school began. So after midnight, said the vampire, his voice wafting past like a fragrance, the sound of his pleasure like perfume, I visited Celeste. Althea looked quickly down at the ground. It swayed, or Althea did. She reached out for something on which to steady herself, but the only object near her was the vampire. She yanked her arm back and shoved both her hands in her jeans' pockets. Then she spread her feet for a firmer stance. She was glad to be wearing a heavy jacket. Maybe they were evenly matched, but a few extra layers of protection would not hurt. She adjusted the collar on her jacket, tucked it in under her hair, zipped the fat silvery zipper up to her chin. The vampire laughed, and this time... She did not turn away. She did not turn her head away fast enough, and she saw his laugh, like the curve of the moon, a pale crescent of evil amusement. What have I done, she thought, wanting the wind to come up and the sun to rise. The black drapery flew out behind him, like bat wings. He pulled the cloth back and went on laughing. Her breath felt stale and used. It seemed to Althea that her own breath was her soul, rising up a sad and lesser thing than it had been. Dawn is nearly here, murmured the vampire. He gestured with a finger-like foil towards the pink beginning of a new day. Go to school, my dear. It'll all begin. What will? Being popular, of course. Isn't that what you wanted? His words were as whispery as the wind. His skin, the color of mushrooms, faded into the dawn. His black drapery vanished among the hemlocks. The air stayed thick and swampy where he had stood. With difficulty, she drew a breath. She tasted him and spat the air out, walking backwards, covering her mouth until she was near the garden where the air was fresher. In the house, she had little appetite for breakfast. You did what you had to do, she told herself, and it wasn't so bad. Celeste's just going to be tired, and you, you get to be popular. For so many months, Althea had entered high school with her eyes lowered, her posture caved in to keep from having to see that nobody saw her. Today, she walked with her eyes lowered and her posture caved in because... If they do look at me, they'll know what I've done. Who, who it is that I talked to in the dark and what I gave him. Althea, cried a girlish, happy voice. Althea spun around as if being attacked. Althea, I love your hair like that, said Becky, gaily, catching up to Althea. It's all fluffy and kind of, I don't know, sparkly. Becky, the best cheerleader, the one that Althea most wanted to be liked by, and to be like. Althea wet her lips with nervousness. I was out early this morning, she admitted. The mist probably settled on my hair. Up early, said Becky. I'm always up early, too. That's so neat to meet somebody else who does that. See, my parents always go for a pre-breakfast run down by the lake and back. Their circuit is five miles. Becky beamed joyously. Lots of time I go with them. How demented, Althea thought, running five miles on purpose when you could be lying in bed. Althea struggled to return Becky's exuberant smile. And why were you up early, Becky asked. Althea tried to think of an explanation, but nothing came to mind. I really like the stars in the night sky, said Althea. It sounded very lame, even more so than running five miles on purpose. She had scarcely noticed that they had been joined by Ryan. She was dumbfounded when Ryan said, No kidding, I took astronomy last year, Althea, and I got really into it. You know that the night sky changes continually, so that constellation you can find in March is not the same one you'll find in November? You and your constellation, said Becky indulgently. She gave Ryan a friendly poke. He tugged her ponytail back. Althea doesn't care about that, Ryan. 
I'd like to learn, said Althea. I'm really quite ignorant. I just sort of go outdoors and stare upward. I don't really know anything. Do you have a telescope? asked Ryan seriously. It had never crossed Althea's mind to want a telescope. Because that tower in your attic would be an excellent spot for one, said Ryan. I mean, you're in a really dark part of town. If he knew how dark, he wouldn't be so eager, Althea thought. No streetlights, said Ryan. No lights from all-night car dealerships, nothing to spoil your view of the stars. He smiled at her. He said, I have a telescope you could learn on. He's suggesting that he come over. Ryan, Ryan of the football team at my house. Becky, bored by the stars, said, Did you get that algebra, Althea? I thought it was really hard. Althea had forgotten that she and Becky were both in second-year algebra together. Of course, they never sat near each other. Becky sat with another cheerleader named Dusty. Normal people cannot have nicknames like Dusty. They'd get teased until they actually became dust or lint or underfoot objects. Only a cheerleader could say out loud with pride, My name's Dusty. Ryan said, I could bring my telescope over. We could put it in the tower room. The tower room? Althea repeated, her hair prickled. No, she could not ever have anybody in the tower room. The vampire was free, his dark path lit. The one with all the shutters, Ryan explained, as if Althea were not familiar with it. Wouldn't it be neat to have a slumber party in that tower room, Becky cried. Althea could not think. A slumber party? Oh, how she wanted to have a slumber party. A dozen girls all at her house, all laughing and happy and glad to be there. But the tower room? Becky locked arms with Althea. Together they headed up for algebra. Ryan trailed after him, talking about telescopes and stars. Far down the hall, Michael waved and smiled. Althea felt her popularity rising out, rising on that wave. Becky said, We don't have cheerleading practice today. You want to come over to my house, Althea? Becky plopped down on the first available seat, not her usual seat near Dusty. I mean, first we'll go to McDonald's, of course, and meet everybody. Then we could go over to my house. She yanked Althea down next to her. Becky got a teasing, provocative look on her face. Ryan lives next door. She said, as if making an offering, we could play telescope together. Ryan heaved a great sigh. He had followed them into algebra. Althea was confused. Ryan didn't take algebra. He was a year older. He had trigonometry. Why was he accompanying them there? My telescope, Becky, said Ryan, although he was facing Althea, is not a toy. Although I'm sure Althea and I can think of plenty of games to play, he winked at Althea. Ryan had winked at her. Michael had waved at her. Becky had sat with her. Althea didn't care what had happened to Celeste. She would never care. She winked back at Ryan. You're sick, Ryan, said Becky. Get out of here. You're annoying the algebra class. Go to your silly trig. Ryan grinned. I'm not sick. He told Althea, I'm a very interesting person. So, are you coming to Mickey D's after school, Althea? She nodded, and he nodded back, and that was heaven. She burned with joy. She felt like a house on fire. When the algebra teacher called on her, she had the right answer, and when Becky made a joke, she had a quick laugh. I'm here, thought Althea. I'm where I deserve to be. I'm among friends. You're in Vinewood, the capital of the world. You want to make it big, but you have seconds to make an impression. A retouched impression that lies about your age, weight, and height. You're in a town of liars and fantasists. Isn't it time your headshot showed you fit right in? In this town, it's vital to walk around with black and white 8x10s of yourself looking like a catalog model or a softcore porn star. That's where I come in. My name is Lorenzo O'Houlihan. First, I take an old-fashioned photograph of 
you, and then I touch it up to get rid of your skin tags and the wrinkles from years of worry that you're useless and so is the personality you were born with. I help turn you into something Vinewood knows how to work with, a bland automaton with the personality of a dishcloth. I also offer casting couch training, so you'll know when and how to put out to get ahead. I also teach gaydar blocking, so the game mafia will think you're one of them. I am Lorenzo O'Houlihan, Dream Maker. Contact me today. It's MMA! Don't miss the upcoming match of Brazil's Luis Cardoso versus Vice Beach's Troy Meatpacker. Half of them don't speak much English, the other are foreign. It's the noble Eastern art of eviscerating your opponent with a kidney punch while you're both wearing swimming trunks. MMA! It's a combination of skills, guts, wit, and the psychotic desire to give someone brain damage! Mixed martial arts, mixing kung fu, homoerotic wrestling, bloodlust, and merchandising. I want to see some blood, you pussies! Only on pay-per-view. But before McDonald's came music. Chorus was another high school group that had not turned out the way Althea had expected. She was one of 16 altos. She had not made friends. She yearned to sit between two girls, both of whom would talk to her. Instead, she sat at the end of the row, sticking out into the room, next to one girl who never turned her way. Sitting on the end gave her a good view of the curved sections and the friendships that other people had made while she sat alone. I could sit in the middle, she thought with a popular alto on my left and a cute baritone on my right. She steered herself. She moved sideways over book bags and shoes. She said to the alto, Mind if I sit here? The alto beamed at Althea, Sure, that'll be a nice change. And Dusty, whose seat it usually was, said, Oh good, I'm sick of being suffocated in the middle of the pack. Thanks, Althea. She sat in the center, one of the crowd. The laughter and chat wrapped her up like a blanket, hot from the dryer. She giggled with the boy on her right. He said, I'm really sorry, but I don't know your name. Althea. What a cool name. I've never heard it before. He smiled. Althea, he repeated. Before she could ask him his name, the music director whacked the top of the stand with his long white stick and in his martial arts sort of way began warm-up exercises. How special her voice sounded from the middle. Being an alto wrapped her in companionship. The, voice, the boy's voice an octave lower added a dimension to singing she had never known. For the first time that year, the director met her eye, smiled, and nodded at her. She felt like an opera star. The director cut them off. In the silence before he gave more orders, Celeste entered the music room. Her sp sparkling eyes were dull. Her golden hair was limp and flat. There were three steps down because the room was designed for tiers of singers or instrumentalists. Celeste stood at the top. She shifted her load of books to the other side for better balance. Celeste felt her way down one step, panted slightly, and rested before taking the next step. You're late, said the music director sharply. I'm sorry. Celeste looked foggy. I felt sort of slow today. I'm not interested in excuses, said the director irritably. You're late. I do not tolerate lateness. Celeste shuffled down another step. The boy next to Althea muttered, This is a cheerleader? No wonder we don't win any games. He rolled his eyes as Celeste tried to focus on the final step down. Want a cane, he said cruelly. Althea no longer wanted to know the boy's name. She no longer wanted to know her own name. What have I done, she thought. Celeste was supposed to be just a little bit tired. She hardly even looks alive. Althea tried to breathe for Celeste, to suck in the rich, clear oxygen that would energize her. But Celeste did not breathe deeply. Celeste stumbled and dropped her books. The music director sighed hugely, exaggerating his patience with the idiot who could not even cross a room. The girl who took attendance so dryly said dryly, 
While we're waiting, Celeste, I'll make announcements. Think you can find the soprano section by then? If that were me, thought Althea, I'd blush scarlet, but Celeste is just shuffling on. Then Althea, herself, went white as paste. Celeste was not blushing. How could she? To blush, you needed blood. Becky laughed with intense excitement as if she and Althea were going on a grand expedition instead of just going to McDonald's. Twisting and turning, Becky told every giddy detail of her day. Her black hair was pulled tightly back into a ponytail, and with every syllable, every move, seemingly every thought, both Becky and her ponytail bounced. Althea tried to concentrate on what Becky was saying to realize that she was going to McDonald's with the in crowd, but she kept seeing Celeste's shoe inching towards the edge of the last step trying to find the bottom. Lighten up, Becky commanded her, as if it were orders from a general. Althea obeyed. It was only two miles to McDonald's, and yet by the time they were in the parking lot, Althea was younger, happier, and noisier. She, too, bounced out of the car. She, too, jumped up and down, clapping as Ryan drove in to join them. Ryan had been joined by a boy named Scotty, whom Althea hardly knew. It was a treat to see these two muscular men get out of Ryan's car. First, Scotty drove over the seat, dove over the seat back, landing like a beached whale, half on the floor and half on the seat. Then, lumbering to his knees, head thrust forward, he opened his right rear door. This door, too, had its problems. Scotty emerged very carefully. Hey, shouted Ryan, diving over after Scotty, don't close that door in my face. Oh, said Scotty, well, I guess I could wait another second or two, but I'm a fast-track kind of guy. I don't like to hang around, Ryan. Yeah, fucking A. Busy guy. Ryan slid out. First one long jeans-wrapped leg, then an arm, a broad chest, a dark, handsome head of hair, and finally the other leg. Althea had intended to daydream about Michael, but now she found her thoughts encompassed by Ryan. Ryan was a weightlifter who talked of how many pounds he could bench press. And he knew all his muscles by name. Everybody had a cheeseburger except Ryan, who ordered three Big Macs. Royale with cheese. He ate each in only four bites, his teeth dividing each huge burger like pie. Well, that's what's new in my life, Becky said, wrapping up a discussion. Althea had missed. Althea had missed while admiring Ryan's eating habits and muscles. Althea, your turn to talk. Hold up your end of the conversation. What's new in your life? Ryan, Becky, and Scotty waited. They went on swallowing their milkshakes, waiting to hear what was new in her life. What's new in my life, thought Althea. I've gotten to know a vampire quite well. His skin is the color of mushrooms. I don't know how he gets in touch with me. What do you think of Celeste in her altered state? Do you know that I did that? This girl with whom you were having a cheeseburger, she hands people over to vampires so they can eat? Ryan and Scotty frowned slightly. Becky looked irritated. Althea struggled to think of things to talk about. Had anything happened in class, after school, had she gone shopping, or even cleaned her room? It seemed to Althea that, in fact, for the vampire, she had no life. Suddenly, to her horror, the vampire was standing there, her throat closed up, her eyes glazed over. He's not here, she thought. He can't come into McDonald's, certainly not in broad daylight. This is not fair. The backyard is one thing, but... She opened her eyes. He wasn't there. Her nerves had fabricated him. She breathed again and realized to her shame that the solitary sigh was her only contribution to her conversation around her. Becky giggled. Well, that was exciting. We must chat about that again in a day. Don't pick on her, said Ryan. You're so mean, Becky. She's not mean, said Althea quickly. I'm just slow. Ryan took this opportunity to discuss his telescope. Weightlifting was his daytime activity. Stars were his nighttime activity. Scotty took this opportunity to mention several things that normal teenage boys enjoyed doing at night, as opposed to something lame and pitiful like studying satellite orbits. 
Here's what I say, said Becky. I say we have a party at Althea's because it's new and we haven't partied there and I'm sick of all the old places. Ryan can set up his telescope in that tower room while we dance on those big old porches. Althea's smile trembled. She had fulfilled her obligation to the vampire. She could do as she pleased, and yet she had not shut the shutters. Was he still there? Where was the dark path exactly? Could he touch other people? Would Becky? Althea's body was rigid, as if her blood had stopped circulating or had been drained. I don't know if that would work out, Becky. I mean, I'd love to, but all right. All right, said Becky sulkily. I just think it's somebody else's turn is all. It seems to me the parties are always at my house. It's because your parents let do any let you do anything all the time, Ryan said. Most people's parents never let them do anything. He stuffed his napkin into his cup, stuffed his cup into the burger box, and squashed the whole thing into a small square. So what's Celeste's problem, he said to Becky. Althea's stomach nodded up. This was it. This was where they found out, where they understood, where they caught her. Becky shrugged. She didn't want to talk, said she was tired. She stumbled around school today like a zombie, said Scotty. She could have at least been polite, said Becky. Here she is, a ninth grader. Everybody on the squad has been nice to her, and she couldn't even be bothered to let us in on her problem. I asked her if I could help, and she just shrugged. That's it. A shrug. You can't have secrets from your teammates. They don't like it. Let's not talk about Celeste, said Ryan. Let's talk about you. He meant her, Althea. Ryan wanted to talk about Althea. An uncertain, joyous smile began on her lips. Ryan said, come on, talk some more. He touched her lip corner with his finger and drew the corner up until Althea laughed out loud. Celeste won't be tired long, Althea thought. She'll perk up in a few days. I'm not going to worry about it. Anyway, it's all worth it. All right, Spooky Squad, that's where we're going to stop. Thank you for tuning back in to another Halloween special episode. I have been your host, spring Jack. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so on Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. I appreciate you guys very much for listening. There are no mountain lions in New Jersey. And until next time, stay spooky.